the Skeptopus Podcast. Welcome to the Skeptopus Podcast, where we prove that you can't prove anything ever, not even that you were listening to this. I am Captain Storm. And I am Dangerous Dan. Each week, our drink tank tackles an interesting topic, and we apply some critical think- drinking. Think- I've already been drinking. If a panelist gets proven wrong, they don't have to drink. So send in your corrections or comments to the show at skeptopus at gmail.com. For criticism or rants, please include the phrase, die you skeptical bastards, in the subject line. Or join our sponsor, the San Diego Skeptics, on Facebook or Meetup at sandiegoskeptics.com. Subscribe to us on iTunes, where you can find links and summaries in the show notes. Or visit our website at www.skeptopus.com. Joining us today, we have retired Navy commander and author Al Bell. Good evening. Seasoned gun industry professional Matt Trujillo. Hello. Professional soccer mom and skeptic Diane Fortune. Good evening. And the greatest bow hunter in the Valencia North Valley Homeowners Association, Anna Maltese. You'll take my bow from my cold, dead fingers. All right, let's get this thing rolling. Call out your poison. Rum. Rum. Vodka. Cherry juice. Rum. I've already been drinking, but more rum. All right, so this week we're talking about gun control. Oh, wow. So today we're joined by four guests who represent broad views across the spectrum of this issue. So it should be a really good heated debate. So, let me just get a little bit meta starting out. Um, Why should we focus on firearms at all? Um, So, there's all these behaviors and causes of murder, and and instead of focusing on the tools of murder, isn't isn't it fundamentally an approach of last resort? I mean, this is like an example of what everyone accuses Western medicine of all the time, which is treating the symptom instead of the illness. Shouldn't we be spending our time and money and activism on legalizing drugs or removing the violence that surrounds them, educating people on the proper use of alcohol and drugs, or addressing domestic violence in low-income areas. Is there a reason why we can't do all of that and gun control? Well, in other words, if the symptom is, is cured, then it would become irrelevant and we wouldn't have to waste our time on this debate. You have a cure for violence across society? Well, it seems to not happen in other countries as much as this one. I don't think we've created any violence-free society. Switzerland has very little violence, but everybody has guns there. Well, I wasn't really necessarily trying to launch into the gun discussion yet so much as as kill the idea that we don't need to talk about gun violence because we could just make violence go away. And if we made violence go away, then we would make gun violence go away. I don't think there's ever been a society where we haven't had violence. and, you know, gun violence is just one flavor of violence. Agreed. But doesn't, don't guns make it easier to do certain violent actions like murder, suicide, uh, the rates that are high in the U.S. when we have... They do, guns do it very effectively. Yeah, but murder rates and violence are at an all-time low and declining. Why, why waste more time if, if this is a problem that's going away already? That's true. The murder rates are declining. The uh, violent crime rate is declining overall. However, uh, according to the D.C. Police Commissioner and um, the Police Executive Research Forum, the number of deaths in these incidents are going up due mostly to uh, high-capacity magazines and assault weapons. And and I would say that even if we're looking at a reduction in the total number of people who are dying from gun-related deaths over time, I don't understand why we would tolerate any you know, every life is precious. You know, I, I could go into a little Monty Python type song, 
But why do we think it's tolerable to let, you know, tens of thousands of people die of gun violence per year and say, well, the numbers are going down, so we should just not pretend this well, is yeah, a problem? Well, let's, yeah, let's, let's go there. It's, it's not tens of thousands. It's 10,000 as of this year. And let's talk about why have guns. What, what are the benefits or why would we need guns? Well, and I would challenge that 10,000 number. That's you're talking about the number of people murdered by guns per year, not the number of people who die from guns per year. Okay, so you're adding in suicides and you're adding and in accidental, accidental, deaths. Deaths. accidental deaths. But if I feel like if you add in those things, then we, we also have to get into all the other things that are causing people to die by choice well, or by accident. That would be a very long podcast, and I don't think that those aren't things that are valuable to talk about. Well, I just mean those things maybe aren't regulated in the way that people want guns to be regulated. Right, so looking at it as a percentage, like um, it, we were talking about how, how many people versus other things are killed by guns. Um, if you include things other than murder and, and the, the fact that it makes it very easy to kill somebody um, when you have a gun versus when you don't have a gun, then I think Storm is right. You have to take into account... Uh, People who die from disease, from uh, other accidents, from cars. And that's great. And we do have many people who are focused on disease eradication and working on making cars safer. And and those are all valuable and laudable efforts. I don't think anybody thinks that we should ignore those issues. I'd also just like to point out that, you know, we live in a country of over 300 million people. um, And the best estimates going at the moment are that there are somewhere around, you know, 88 guns per every hundred U.S. citizens or U.S. residents, rather. Um, and those guns result in, you know, between 14 to 19,000 accidents um, every year. Uh, when we look at 19,000 on the high end as a percentage of 300 million, uh, we're talking about 0.000063% of guns actually being, you know, used in an accidental shooting. It's uh, almost statistically insignificant. Well, once you parse out the causes of death or the the causes of death that are related to gun violence, like when you look at it as you're just looking at the accidental deaths, you're just looking at the murder, you're just looking at the injuries, you're just looking at the suicides, it starts to make those numbers look a lot smaller. But when you lump them all in together, the number of deaths from guns are pretty significant. And I would not consider them statistically insignificant if you're talking about a person. As well, you have to factor in the, fa- uh, the fact that you know we're several times higher than any other developed country and some underdeveloped countries as well. So, yeah. We also have uh, more guns per capita by far, right, than any other country. America, fuck yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, uh, uh, Perhaps we should narrow our discussion to handguns because uh, more people nope. are killed with <laughs> were killed with knives than with uh, uh, rifles uh, on an average year. Uh, because again, you're trying to take that bigger number and lump it into and slice and dice it into small. I'm numbers. talking about homicides. I'm talking well, I, about homicides. There were eighteen an average of uh, eighteen hundred and seventeen homicides with knives per year. Uh, 453 with rifles, 18 with what they call assault rifles. Can we uh, define assault rifle? I've heard that a couple of times, and it's a little confusing of a term for well, me. Well, uh, now they're, they're taking a semi-automatic weapon and calling that an assault 
weapon, but uh, in reality, uh, an assault weapon is one that has a fully automatic capability. But they're changing the definition of assault weapon, just as uh, I saw today on uh, Skeptic's website that uh, politician in Missouri is trying to change the definition of uh, theories and uh, hypotheses. I don't feel that what they're calling uh, with their bans assault rifles, uh, truly assault rifles, because there are a lot of semi-automatic hunting rifles that just lack certain cosmetic features that would turn them into assault weapons. So what was previously considered an assault rifle is banned currently? Uh, fully automatic? Not necessarily banned, but restricted. Okay. Um, since 1934, um, the, the federal government has restricted what guns that they consider to be not in common use. Things like sawed-off shotguns, short barrel rifles, machine guns. Uh, and at the time, they required that the purchaser would also have to obtain a $200 tax stamp. And when we're talking $1934, 200 bucks was a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Um, that continued up until you know, about 1986 uh, when they decided that um, no new machine guns would be built for civilian sale. Now, Or imported. Or imported. Um, any machine gun, according to uh, ATF, that was registered uh, as in accordance with the National Firearms Act, is still transferable. Uh, you can transfer one for the cost of a $200 tax stamp. However, there's a lengthy background investigation. It takes several months, and there are certain states that ban them outright. But in most of the country, machine guns are perfectly legal. They're just difficult to obtain. So do we all agree that we don't want the general public having machine guns? Not necessarily. <laughs> Okay. Just, just restricted in the way uh, that they have been. So who gets machine guns? I mean, okay, so... Or sawed-off shotguns. I mean, is don't it, you it, agree that there has to be an arbitrary line? Like, we can't have hand grenades, and we can't have... I can't have hand grenades? You can what actually about surface-to-air missiles? You can actually have hand grenades. Uh, they classify them as destructive devices. The transfer of which is, again, a $200 tax stamp. It's I feel so item. much safer. <laughs> How often do you hear about a drive-by hand grenade? Yeah. Oh. I'd like to You'll say give that... give them ideas that I, I uh, am a purist in that I feel that there should be no restriction on people having uh, fully automatic weapons. Uh, what about uh, nuclear? Uh, if they can afford them, but <laughs> I don't think they <laughs> so, can. So you're okay with Al-Qaeda having nuclear weapons? No, I'm... And uh, North can, Korea. I, I'm well, okay are they American with, citizens? I'm okay with American citizens buying whatever weapons they can afford. Oh, American citizens. Yeah, American citizen Al-Qaeda members. Oh, okay. All right. Yes, that that's okay. That's a little scary because there are... American citizens that, given their resources, could afford a, a nuclear weapon. There are many. So on what basis do we want to give citizens of a modern society access to any kind of weapon that they want? I guess if you could do a bake sale and put up enough money to buy a nuclear weapon, then that would be okay because it's considered an arm and we have that right to bear it? Question mark? Um, the definition of arms includes those things that are in common use. I'm pretty sure we Whose can all- definition? It's from 1934's U.S. versus Miller um, that you know that banned things right like uh, sawed-off shotguns. Mm-hmm. Or I'm sorry, 1939's no. U.S. 30, versus Miller. U.S. versus Miller was 1939. 1934 banned the sawed-off shotguns. I, I just corrected myself. <laughs> um, but you know, I think we can all agree that nuclear weapons aren't in common use. So I, I would say that there's not constitutional support for the possession of nuclear weapons. So there's no issue there, but what what we're trying to uh, get at is there there should be a line somewhere, right? We we shouldn't just allow people to have any 
device that they want that could cause massive destruction. What's interesting is where Matt is choosing to draw the line is based on a case from the 1930s, not the Constitution. So the Constitution does not draw that arbitrary line where he's choosing to arbitrarily draw that line that happens to line up with a court case. So if, if you're saying that the court case is really what decides what's considered an arm and the right to bear it, then why can't we, according to that logic, just have another court case that says we're going to draw the line somewhere else and the, draw, the line is way on the other side of assault rifles? Put a court case together. A- appeal it all the way up to the Supremes. Get them to accept it. And, uh, you know, they can work on overturning precedent. So, Matt, you're saying if, if, the, if it's the will of the people, basically, and, and the court case comes up where we do draw that line in a different place in the sand, you're okay with adjusting the definition of It's not arms. necessarily the will of the people. It's the justice's interpretation of the Constitution. Yeah, but okay. I, don't, I don't so much care about that. I, want, I care about what's reasonable. So what's reasonable for the average person to have to do the things which the Second Amendment is supposed to guarantee, which is the right of self-protection and the right to overthrow your or resist your tyrannical government. I don't necessarily agree with that interpretation of the Second Amendment. just want to put that out there. Okay, well, let's talk about the Second Amendment then. I wipe my ass on the Constitution. It's just a piece of paper. It's only as good as the <laughs> I, government and the people okay. behind it. No, no, no. I, and I would, I would not say it in quite those same terms, okay, but I yeah, think okay. the point is, is that the Founding Fathers had ideas and that we should support the ones that are good using the logic that they did insofar as it still applies to modern society. Insofar. And so I think the, the average person has a fundamental right to defend themselves. And in a modern society... Defending yourself is not with your fists, it's with a gun. So, the Second Amendment. Here's, here's a couple thoughts, and this is just my two cents. It's the one amendment that nobody can seem to agree on. And part of that has to do with the clause in between two commas, uh, the right of the people to keep and bear arms. Remove that clause and it says, a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state shall not be infringed. Now, um... So here's the thing. We might not care what the Supreme Court thinks, but courts are the last answer. It's the the best indication of a law. <clears throat> even a second amendment, even the second amendment uh is basically what the courts say it means. Now interestingly, the NRA has never argued that a gun control law offends the second amendment it always bases its litigation on the constitutional grounds of overbreadth and vagueness Hmm. Um, everything has been very very vague and a lot of the uh, conservative ultra conservative you know pro gun uh, side you know likes to quote these very poetic uh, quotes from Thomas Paine and Thomas Jefferson Um, however Assuming for the sake of argument that the founders solidly you know, believed in an individual right to bear arms, why does constitutional analysis not stop at the founders' intentions? You know, that's not how American law works. So, I think the, the, uh, the founders <coughs> were living in a different time, but they set up uh, more of a philosophical rule where you know, they were very thoughtful in how they phrased it. The right to bear arms doesn't say the right to uh, own a musket, you know, and bayonet and shoot that. So, it, you know, their ideas kind of still pertain today, but they had no idea the weapons that we would have today. It doesn't matter. The Constitution, Second Amendment, gives an individual the right to keep and bear arms. 
The bit about the militia is a justification clause. The operative clause is keep the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. And that's been held up in the, Car- uh, well, the Heller case. Not, not only no, that, but actually I... it hasn't. Uh, they... They right, but I don't. Been, hold on, hold on. Stable. I don't want to get sidetracked into a political discussion about what the founders intended, because I want to know ethically whether people agree that you have a right to defend yourself, yeah, regardless what? of what people thought with gray hair from. That's uh, a question that doesn't deal ago. with guns, though. It does. It does, because if you have a fundamental right to defend yourself, then then we can interpret the law in a way that makes sense to guarantee that my question would be why would we need guns to defend ourselves it serves as an equalizer you know the colt firearms company which popularized the single action repeating revolver um used to put out an ad that said god created man colonel colt made them equal you can hand a gun to a 120 pound woman and she has an effective tool for defending herself against a 250 pound man that wishes to do her harm. She also has a much greater likelihood that that gun will be used against her than that she'll ever use it to defend herself. Is that statistics that you can oh, supply yes, us? Yes, that yes. is. Let's, Twice talk, as let's, let's talk it up. Yeah, bring it up. <laughs> Does anybody because, else? Because I feel like that's a core philosophical point. If, if it equalizes man and helps people to have a level playing field, that would be pretty important ethically to achieve. And if it doesn't actually play out in the statistics in real life, we want to know that. Well, okay. so statistically, if you buy a gun for self-defense, you're 20 times more likely to have it be used in another manner, such as suicide, assault on you, or an accident, than to use it in a self-defense case. Per year, there's an average of 200 cases where it's been found that the person using the gun is legally justified in self-defense, and that's compared against 30,000 deaths. So that's 200 cases of legally justified self-defense, 200, against 30,000 gun deaths per year. I'd also like to point out that that data came from the Brady campaign. Yes, it did. Uh, hardly an unbiased source. Yes, but they also provide where they got their data from, which actually I would point out the difficulty. Where did the data come from? I, I'm going to have to Because I, I would have to agree. I, I don't want statistics from the NRA, and I don't want them from the Brady campaign, because well, they're if, two extreme sides of the issue, if you have and some you got to go to your sources. Disagreeing sources that have different numbers, then we can, we can talk about them. I think the point is the order of magnitude is really huge. 1998 FBI statistics and 1993 Florida criminologist. One study. Well, and the, the other issue we have is that the NRA has put a lot of effort into blocking research into gun and gun violence. Um, they've actively- Okay, hold on. We're, we're going to, that's going to be the second half of the podcast where we talk okay. about regulation and we get into politics of how to actually apply useful regulation in our society. But we're, I want to stick to this point of discussing the basic rights of, of guns. So could I read from uh, the Heller 12? case, the the uh, the, the, uh, no. okay. the uh, is, is majority your, is opinion. your point going to be on what I just asked for? Yes. OK, go ahead. Twelve hundred and nine women were killed by handguns in 1998, whereas 12 used a handgun to defend themselves, which means that the number who used handguns to defend themselves is, again, about 100 to one. And that's consistent with the order of magnitude that I so, put in the other. OK, staff. so, Matt, that would seem to indicate that. Although, in theory, it makes a woman equal, in practice, it doesn't work out that way. Now, in, in terms of using this gun to defend yourself, are we talking times the number of times a woman shot and killed an attacker, displayed it, if uh, simply the 250-pound man knew that she owned a gun and chose not to show up that night? Um, you know, it's, it's a difficult thing 
to to apply concrete yeah, I numbers. I think Anna too. has a story like that about her in her family of a woman. My great grandmother held off an intruder with a World War One bayonet. See, here's the thing: when you have an, when you're talking about an intruder, a stranger in the home, <clears throat> as opposed to a domestic violence situation or a stranger assaulting you on the street. You can hold them off with pretty much anything. Jennifer Lawrence just had an intercession with somebody, and she happened to have her archery equipment on her. Old people have held off other people with swords. You know, it's that, it's that one visual of having someone pointing a weapon at you. How many arrows per minute can you fire? It does not matter. What if you're facing multiple attackers? Are we? We are talking about a situation with an intruder in the home right now. There are s- numerous times where there's multiple intruders. Having Which one wants to make that Bravo run? Which one wants to make that Bravo run and risk death so that his fellows can m- walk away with the VCR? Okay, well, let's... Do let's... we live in a world of video games where we're constantly barraged by multiple intruders coming at us to attack no, us? No, the, I mean, the answer is no. It's extraordinarily rare. But hold storm, on, storm. hold on. Go ahead, go ahead, Al. There's a concept in a naval strategy called a fleet in being. The mere fact that you have a fleet often prevents the enemy from doing things that he would otherwise do. People knowing that you ha- might have a weapon in your home acts as, as a deterrent to people breaking into your home. By and that it, argument, the, then, whoa, whoa, whoa. that we... Let him finish, Sorry. please. In, uh, for example, in my home Light state of... Uh, Georgia, there's a suburb of Atlanta called Kennesaw, Georgia, where back in the 1980s, uh, they passed a law requiring people to uh, own and possess arms. Uh, the crime rate dropped, and, and in Kennesaw, uh, since that law was passed, they've had nine homicides. Only four of those were gun homicides. Along those same lines, do you have statistics on handgun ownership and crime rates um, well, yeah, actually, yes, let me let me <laughs> hold on. Let me that. let me just sprinkle in a few things to give perspective. Two thousand nine murders of the offenders for whom the gender was known. Eighty nine point seven percent were males. Outlaw males. Single victim, single offender situations accounted for forty eight point six percent of all murders for which the the program received data of the homicides for which the FBI received weapons data. involved the use of firearms. Handguns handguns comprise 70.5% of all firearms used in murders and non-negligent manslaughters in 2009. In 2009, 24.2% of victims were slain by family members. 53.8% were killed by someone they knew. And that is an acquaintance, a neighbor, a friend, or a boyfriend. The relationship of the murder victims and the offenders was unknown for 43.9%. Of the female murder victims for whom their relationships with the offenders were known, 34.6% were murdered by their husbands or boyfriends. Of the murderers for which circumstances surrounding the murder was known, 41.2% of the victims were murdered during arguments, including romantic triangles, <laughs> in 2009. So That's the next podcast. Felony circumstances, rape, robbery, burglary, etc., only accounted for 22.9% of the murders. So... It seems like most of this stuff that's happening is not a situation under which a woman could pull out a handgun and use it. It's people that the people that are dying are mostly males, not women. They're mostly in the inner city and they're mostly doing gang related activity. 
But how do you statistically identify, like Al was saying, the threat of the gun? How do you analyze the security that a woman feels when she's carrying a gun? I would say that's a false sense of security because as we've shown statistically a woman is very likely to have a gun used against her more than she is to use yeah, it to we defend haven't shown herself. that though because well, the statistics one. that you collected do not in- include non-reported cases where it successfully worked they don't go to the police for that how many times is it thwarted a violent we, interaction you don't go to the it's yeah. very difficult yeah. to study you don't go to the police the when nothing happened except you scared someone off with a gun I think most of that is unreported do go to the police when something when somebody attempts to rape you and it does happen people do go to the police it, not in the things. inner city where actual violence mostly occurs you're still talking they about don't re- trust the police reported a hundred to one a hundred to one there so, there are some statistics that show that where they have put gun bans in place the crime rate has increased because the people knew that uh, the the bad guys knew that the homeowners were undefended right but that usually only lasts a short time also, um, you can't. There, I have not seen any statistics proving that that was the reason. I have seen correlation, but not causation, and that's a thing that I think we have to remember. Also, with as a, as as it pertains to rates, um, there was something in there was a retort to the uh, Australian assault weapons ban saying, "Oh, our rates gone up this year for homicides. It's like three point two. Well, previous to that, the rate was like." 12% or something like that. It was like a high number. You have to look at the rate at which they increased from last year in terms of the overall, like a long-term study. You can't look at things in like 12-month periods because that's not a long enough study time. I agree. Yeah, overall, the the Australian assault weapon or the ban that they did on, it was it was not just assault weapons. It was more, it was bigger than that, wasn't it? I wouldn't it? call it completely a ban. I would say no. it was a, a more of a control of how people had access to weapons, but all of the weapons that exist, you can still buy and own in some form. And they also did a buyback program. And and the fact is, is that at the end of 10 years, there's a lot less murders. And all the spree killings, I think, came to a complete halt, if I remember. Complete halt. Before the ban. No were, more spree killings. No more sp- killings, period. And... Not only were there exemptions carved out for ownership of guns, if you could prove that you, you know, needed and could use them well, but uh, there was another point I was making that is very salient. Um, all right, the buyback. So the cost was financed by a one-off tax for one year. That's all it took. Um, they collected almost 700,000 guns that were bought back. People just like, and it was it was hard because John Howard actually had to put together a coalition with two other parties, and they were at odds. You know, so so that's Australia. But is would anything like that possibly work well, in the United States? It already has in different communities. You know, according to the Wall Street Journal, only one out of the 117 gun homicides in the two years following that 1996 National Firearms Agreement used a registered gun. So you, criminals aren't the ones that are going to be registering firearms. You can't wave a magic wand and make all guns disappear just because you say so. But they will sell them back to the government for money. But I, I think his point is, who is selling the guns back to the government? And who, well, but, but who's going to give up their guns? The, it's not going to be the bad that guys. people that are there laying around the house, and they those guns get collected, and then their sons and daughters that are more criminal in intent can't borrow them. 
and use them in crime. There's another uh, thing that happens with gun buyback programs in American communities. And actually, there's two things that happen with a gun and a buyback program. Uh, in the buyback program, it makes it harder for criminals to steal guns. It also cuts down on the communal gun phenomenon that you have, where you have like not like 20 people who can't afford a gun on their own, but they have essentially a timeshare where they take turns if they need it. Mm. You know, every little bit kind of counts. And I would also mention that with the ban, what you do as a secondary effect is you drive up the existing price on the existing guns. In Toronto, or I'm sorry, in Minneapolis, a Taurus handgun is one to two hundred dollars. In Toronto, that same gun is fifteen hundred dollars. So, for the record, I wouldn't take a Taurus handgun if you gave me fifteen hundred dollars. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think an important thing that Australia also does is they register every gun. Every single gun in Australia is registered, and every single owner of a gun is tracked to that. That's gun. a good point. Is anybody here against uh, gun regulation in a sense that Obama's proposing, yeah. where we should register every gun? Yes, I'm against that. Okay, why? Because I think registration leads to confiscation, and I believe that the Second Amendment affords us an individual right to keep and bear arms. So um, support that argument. How, how do you know that you're making a, a slippery slope domino effect? What's your argument for that happening? Uh, I've seen it happen in California. Uh, they forced folks that owned uh, Norinco SKS uh, rifles to register them simply because they took a detachable magazine. Well, a short time after that, like within two or three years, uh, they arbitrarily decided that you could no longer own those registered guns. California fo- forced folks to turn those in. And the only way they knew who had what is because law-abiding citizens registered them. So what, what would you suppose the motive is behind re- the government or whoever registering and subsequently taking away guns? Control. Well, but the, the, the net effect of them removing that particular gun was not that people lost their Second Amendment rights, though. So I feel like that's not a good example. What if it's the only gun I own and I'm poor? Still, society at large is not... There's How many guns are there out there? Anybody you know can that? still get a gun, right? Okay. How, how many guns are out there in society right now? In, in California, for instance. 300 million in the United so States. So I'm assuming a large number are still in California. So as a general rule, Californians have not lost their Second Amendment rights. Here's, here's another uh, point of that. Do you really think that in the age of the Internet, the federal government needs a registered database to confiscate guns from people? I, I mean, was going to bring that up, too. All they have to do is go to like, Walmart. And look at their database of who buys ammunition. But is that really going to be effective? Like we said, the, the, well, the market right now is flooded with guns. Why would the government try to soak all those guns up somehow? I, I, don't, I just don't see that Without being registration, feasible. you wouldn't know how many guns of a particular type I had. Okay, I bought forty-five caliber ammunition. Guess what, guys? I own four of them. Mm-hmm. So do you know if you're looking for one? Are you looking for four? Are you looking for 40? Well, the hopefully, only, okay, as a so, law-abiding citizen, so far, you would register them all. Uh, so far, Absolutely not. I'm still very skeptical, given the evidence you put forward, that registration leads to confiscation. You haven't made that case yet. I, I pointed out an individual case with a particular Yeah, fire. give me more. We need more. Give me something that's bigger, like much more impressive than just California took away one gun. Well, you have all of these totalitarian countries like uh, Nazi Germany, uh, Stalinist. Oh, uh, you did it. Uh. (laughs) Let him finish. Getting Godwin up in the house. Uh, uh, 
all of these totalitarian countries uh, confiscated guns, and shortly thereafter, there were holocausts. May I take this one? Sure. Please do. Shoot, so to speak. <laughs> with, a, with a bow. I will... So, um, there's a list that's going around, and after I had done the legwork myself, I went over to Snopes.com to see if they had anything to say, and the status on this is undetermined research still in progress. However, Germany is on that list, so is Turkey, Russia, China, Cambodia, Guatemala, and Uganda. So if I can run down the list real quick. Are these countries that su- supposedly... Disarmed their citizens okay, and that but, followed genocide. But you're on, the, you're on the... In other words, I'm asking them to prove their registration leads to confiscation... He brought up the German, and, and he and no, he just he just said the Nazis. So I'm I'm trying to understand how Nazi Germany applies to America. Well, you're talking about a country where they confiscated the guns from the people. Uh, let me read something from Mein Kampf, if I might. The state must uh, declare the child to be the most precious treasure of the people. As long as the government is perceived as working for the benefit of the children, the people will happily endure almost any curtailment of liberty and almost any deprivation. It's uh, Mein Kampf by Adolf Hitler. Uh, He confiscated the uh, firearms ban. uh, He announced the firearms ban, and uh, he made the announcement uh, surrounded by uh, children and claiming the welfare of children as an excuse. How did America you know? is not a totalitarian dictatorship. No, but Fu- if we fundamentally, begin- it just doesn't work the same way as the country that Hitler was running. Yeah, well, we're on the road to that if we allow uh, the government to uh, force us to register guns and then begins to confiscate them. I think the point there, if I could just emphasize, is over a long period of time, it's not unreasonable to think that any government anywhere in any situation could be under the situation where their citizens would need to have a, a violent uprising. So, um, yeah, but he just made he just did the poisoning the well thing and said everyone can turn into Hitler. I don't buy that. May I address? I just this? don't buy that. May, may I address? Yeah, this? go ahead. Um, is, is it still the rule that when we get proved wrong, we have to take a drink? Sure. (laughs) So um, I know this this story about Hitler and the Nazi party has been going around. Here's what actually happened, though. In 1919, the Treaty of Versailles, after World War I, imposed severe gun restrictions on German citizens, and the Weimar Republic uh, passed strict gun control to comply with that treaty. However, in 1928, German parliament passed the Law on Firearms and Ammunition, relaxing those gun restrictions and putting into effect a strict licensing procedure. They put into a system of permits, basically, into society. So then those those original laws were actually, the relaxing of those laws in 1928 still kept in place a lot of restrictions, but they were aimed, those restrictions were essentially aimed at the Nazi party. However, in 1938, the Nazi regime enacted strict gun control laws and regs requiring licensing, reporting for the acquisition, transfer, or carrying of handguns, and for dealing and manufacturing in firearms and ammunitions. These were much less restrictive in that they relaxed the gun laws that were in place in the Weimar Republic at the time they seized power. They opened up Section 4 of the 1928 law to include handguns. They opened up exceptions to the permit requirement on acquisitions, acquisitions, and they lowered the legal age from acquisitions from 20 to 18. 
So what you're saying is the Nazis actually decreased gun control? In 1938, those were the revisions that they put in place. In the 1928, relaxation of the gun controls put into place by the Weimar Republic. Did they allow Jews to have guns? They did not, but every German citizen who was not a Jew or an itinerant was allowed to have guns. That said, arming Jews with what Hitler and the Nazis planned for them was not going to happen. I mean, that... They, they weren't allowed to drink, Al. If the Jews had guns, would they have been so easily? Oh, led good to the lord! Death? This is like the argument that the whole reason that slavery happened is that we didn't allow black people to have guns back in the day. And if only, if only. Well, I think it's a valid question in that we've seen government uprisings actually work, especially fairly recently, or uprisings against governments. The uprisings against governments. I'm assuming you're talking about the Arab Spring and such wasn't really done by people with a bunch of handguns. True, but, but the Warsaw Ghetto Uprising was. The Warsaw Ghetto Uprising wouldn't have mattered even if they had guns. The Nazis controlled everything at that point. They controlled the railroads. They controlled the communication systems. They controlled the utilities. And how difficult would it have been to control those things if there were 88 guns for every 100 people in Poland? They It, it, did, it would not have mattered because they... <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm serious. I have to say, in general, I'm missing this connection between Nazi Germany and the United States, you know, Democratic Republic. So can I ask a question? Then? Like, how are, how are you saying in the age of the Internet and, and you know, where uh, politicians have to make excuses for any little thing that they do wrong, that they're going to somehow regulate guns and then use that as a way to take away guns? Well, how can you say that over given enough time... That, that wouldn't happen. There's been plenty of instances in history because where Because society are, is progressing. It's not, it's not retreating. But you can't predict no matter what it is 50 years in the future so or 100 I, years in the future. I have a question for Al. You made a comment that this was a step towards a totalitarian dictatorship in the future. Are there other steps that are occurring? I didn't say that, that we're headed for totalitarianism, but that's possible. In, in Tennessee in 1946, uh, uh, there was a, a rebellion, the Athens Rebellion, they call it. The veterans returning uh, to a corrupt uh, county in Tennessee uh, found that when they uh, put a slate of uh, candidates on the ballot, the sheriff uh, went into uh, the place where the ballots were being counted and at gunpoint took the ballot boxes away. They shot one of the uh, ballot counters. Uh, this was because they r- saw the writing on the wall. If we let these uh, veteran, the slate of candidates of the veterans uh, for they're, office, they're going to win. They're going to win. So yeah. they took the ballot boxes into their city hall, a, a stone fortress. And, uh, and you, the, my question is more specific. Right now, do you think? Let me that finish we are- the st- story, and then you can uh, tell yeah, me. Yeah, this that. this happened in America. Yeah, 60 years ago, but that, that's not the point Well, wait, question. I'll make it more general if you like. But uh, the, the point is that in this, uh, this town, the, the veterans had to arm themselves, recapture the ballot boxes, and hold a public uh, counting of the ballots as required by Tennessee law in order for their slate of candidates to put in, be put into place. We, we have crooked politicians all the time. And they will be just more crooked if they don't have a fear that, hey, this could get out of hand and and they're going to throw us out literally. 
I think they have a fear more that they're going to have an unscripted moment caught by someone with an iPhone like George Allen, honestly. Um, getting to okay, the... No, actually, could you still answer that question, though? Do you think, other than the gun issue, that we are on the steps towards a totalitarian dictatorship? No, I don't think we are, but I think we okay. would certainly be uh, if we didn't have the Second Amendment protecting our right to keep and bear arms. That's the right that protects all of our other rights. And our iPhones. <laughs> yeah, and I, I can identify with that because even if we can't right now think of a scenario in which the American government can't become tyrannical, I feel like given history, that's a lack of imagination on our part. In other words, if, if we hand away too many rights now, it may be of no danger to us and the next few generations, but 500 years from now, that right that we gave away will never be able to be regained by those people being suppressed by that government. I would just take a step back here and look at where we are right now in the world as opposed to where we were in 1947, for instance. Um, in this country alone, the major population centers are in urban and suburban areas, not rural areas. Vigilante justice in these population centers has bad results and would have really bad results. As far as the Athens thing, there is no definitive answer as to whether they had to take up three M1 Garand rifles, five M1911 pistols, 24 M1917 field Enfield rifles, one Thompson submachine gun, and various issued pistols, dynamite, and other guns. Now, that said, we live in a country, well, we live in a world now where we've gone from tribal chieftains, chieftainships, to kingdoms, to nation states, to countries, and now to congregations of countries like the EU and the AU. And along the way, our laws regarding every aspect of society, and that includes violence, have had to evolve. We don't have Hamilton Burr type duels anymore uh, in our with our politicians, which I think is a shame sometimes. Um, so you're proposing that due to globalization and the sophistication of uh, in the society internet. in general and the internet and and that, that we're no longer we that is never no longer be the same possible yeah. to have a situation where we need a, a, if, an uprising. If if the only the only way that I can see that honestly is if the internet and all not only global telecommunications shut down but like all electricity suddenly died which is kind of impossible and the reason why is not because of some hippie idea of peace and love but it's because of economics i mean if china had wanted to sink us they could have had they could have just cashed in their t bills in 2003 and they could have be they they could be owning us as pets right now but you know, even even with I mean, if you told if you told somebody in Greece during World War Two that Germany, a socialist democracy run by Chancellor Angela Merkel, would be bailing them out so that their pension funds wouldn't go down the toilet, they would they wouldn't know whether you were crazy or whether you were pulling their leg. You know, it's it's one of those everything is economically interconnected kind of things. It's almost too big to fail. 
Well, I'd like to point out that in local areas, things can go to hell in a handbasket. I happened to be in Los Angeles when the Rodney King riots broke out. I was in a Sheraton hotel with a group of executive planners and people who had no idea who Rodney King was were out looting and burning and, uh, you know, 53 people were killed. Thousands in were Las injured. In Las Vegas? In, in Los in, Angeles. Los Angeles. Oh, okay. Los Angeles. Vegas. Rodney King riots in Los Angeles, yeah. 1992, April the 29th. And in that Sheraton Hotel, I don't know where they came from, whether they were... Uh, civilians or police or what, uh, men armed with long guns and civilian clothes went to the roof of that hotel and uh, no one attacked that hotel, but uh, up the street, uh, a block away, a bank, a bank was broken into. They smashed the glass. I don't think they got anything because people and the bankers don't generally leave cash out of the vault at night. Uh, uh, New Orleans, look what happened there. If, if, if things go to the handbasket because of some local problem, power outage or whatever, or upset about some court case and, and people start rioting, you may choose to defend yourself, and you ought to have the means to do so, and our Second Amendment guarantees us that right. Well, so I, I would like to take the Second Amendment just off as an argument because it's an amendment. It can be amended. We can be amended. We've amended the Constitution because it didn't used to um, allow black people to be considered citizens. But I think he's making a very, uh, at least emotionally compelling argument that if, if my neighbor is, you know, there's a riot and my neighbor's store is getting broken into and he's potentially in danger, don't I have the right to go defend it with a gun? Well, I guess if we're going to go with emotional arguments, I would say... Well, not just emotional, but he gave examples. Okay, 30,000 gun deaths in the United States per year. Is that worth somebody vaguely feeling like they want a gun in case the shit hits the fan? I mean, is it possible that the shit will hit the fan? Yeah. Will it ever, you know, sure, this stuff happens. There's pockets of instability and things uh, that happen. Do we have stats on how often this has happened? Well, what, Katrina-type Rodney King-type stuff? Yeah. Well, let me me give you uh, 2005... Firearms were used to kill 30,143 people. Um, that's from the Centers uh, for Disease Control. That's 17,002 were suicides, 12,353 homicides, 789 accidental firearm deaths. Nearly half of the deaths occurred in people under the age of 35. When we consider that there were also nearly 70,000 non-fatal injuries from firearms, we are left with the staggering fact that 100,000 men, women, and children were killed or wounded by firearms in the span of just one year. That translates into one death from firearms every 17 minutes and one death or non-fatal injury every five minutes. So given this information as an example, what if the number of deaths from guns over the course of 100 years actually ends up exceeding the number of people that might die under some potentially tyrannical government situation or put or a rioting situation or rioting or whatever. So how many hundreds of thousands of deaths have to pile up before you have to consider it a failed philosophy? If the argument I'd say we're is, at that point already. If the argument is, you know, what are you willing to do to save just one life? Where do you draw the line in terms of No, the, hundreds, of, hundreds thousands. of thousands. So Let's say ten thousand are saved by guns. Hundreds of thousands die from. But, the presence but remember of what guns. we talked about at the very beginning of this podcast: the amount of people that die from guns versus other things is staggeringly small. Okay, so do do you want to spend ten thousand dollars to save every life? 
Yes. Okay. How, how about ten million per life? Well, actually, per if you're going to start talking about costs, we could talk about the cost of gun violence to our society. When you what, talk about what? incarceration, when you talk about medical needs of people, because a lot of people who are shot aren't killed, and so there's significant medical costs for them. Some of those people can't work, so then you have to support them for the rest of their lives because they've got a bullet lodged in their back. So don't. Yeah, I don't think you want to talk well, about. No, you guys were quick to jump to, to nuclear weapons. Let's let's talk about this. Will you spend a billion dollars on? each person to save their life if we're spending a billion dollars to save yes or no it's easy on each life i think our economy has already tanked yeah i would say no at that point but what's so, the point you're getting at so if it's if they're not worth a billion dollars a piece what are they worth to you something in between a billion and zero right assume any number you want and get to your point my point is, you know, you can say all these things, oh, we could do all this to, uh, you know, limit this and limit that. You know, we'll cut down on assault weapons. All those things have costs associated with them. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if you want to eliminate guns entirely, look at what that will cost. Financial costs involved? The financial costs, if we were to just decide to make guns illegal and take them all off the streets, I don't think we'd be talking about a significant financial cost for more than a year or two. As we were talking about with Australia, they, they just bit the bullet and did it one year. When you look at that compared to the medical costs of taking care of people who are shot by guns and things over time, I mean, it, it's just going to get dwarfed really, really quickly. I don't, I don't think, think you're going to win on the finances. I, I, yeah, you're not going to win on the finances thing. It, it, I, the argument for me is going to center around. Well, you're going to have to our, go door to door our to get personal, them. our personal rights. But I think okay, Matt, but that's I, a different. Okay, so there's a difference between the ethical idea of you know should we have guns and why do we have them and what do they do for us. And then the cost of guns to society as a general, you know, idea. And I, I just read off some of those statistics. And you could, you see my, do you see my point at all that when there's hundreds of thousands of deaths and then the examples that you can proffer that say that guns have saved people in some rare political riot situations is so much smaller. So really... All we're worried about is that Hitler's going to show up and kill six million of us. Because if that doesn't happen, guns are more dangerous to more people from a just straight statistics point of view. But I think I think Matt's point was more to the feasibility of taking people's guns. Like we said before, America is saturated with guns. Do you really think it's reasonable to think that we can just ban guns overnight and that people are going to give them up and we're going to have no problems. Maybe now's the time to move into part two of this podcast, which is clearly going to run two hours. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And that's regulation. Thanks for opening your brain holes. We always appreciate your feedback. Email us at skeptipus at gmail.com. Visit our website at www.skeptipus.com and subscribe to us on iTunes and leave us a review. Now go out and make a fundamentalist angry by asking too many irrefutably logical questions.